Praise the Lord. Amen. Get a word this morning. I want to, God's been putting this on my heart for quite a while. I want to just put it all together for you this morning. So the title of my message this morning, let's get right into the word if we will. How many brought their Bibles? Amen. Uh, if you got this kind or this kind or whatever, does your have an on and off button? Used to be, years ago, if I said, okay, turn to this scripture, you used to hear pages rustling. I don't hear that no more. You know, I just, just, um, so praise the Lord. Good news is if the lights go out, you can still see your Bible if you're using a high-tech version. Right? <laughs> I can remember one time we had a power outage and I was sitting there with a flashlight. <laughs> we don't end the service. We go right on. Amen. Power companies not control what we do here. <laughs> and uh, so, but I don't have to now. It's just kind of, it's kind of lit up. Praise the Lord. I was, I was preaching. We were in the mission field one time and, and the fellow I was traveling with uh, was another pastor from the church and we're traveling together and he put handwritten everything down. I mean, he had notes and he, and he traveled with those notes. He had folders and stuff like this <laughs> and we're preaching someplace and he laid all his notes out on a pulpit. Of course, in, in some of the places you go into the into these missions, they don't have walls on the churches. They're just some of them are just blessed enough to have a roof. <laughs> so he lays all his. It was one of those places, and he lays all his papers out there. And a good gust of wind come along, and he had to start over. Hallelujah! <laughs> but praise the Lord. I uh, I was playing about this this morning, and I noticed this. over the years that I've been in the ministry, not only in the ministry, but as a, I've heard this phrase years ago. Living under an open heaven. How many have ever heard that? Living, living under an open heaven. What does it mean? And about every sermon I've ever heard teaching on living under an open heaven had to do with prayer. Nothing wrong with that, by the way. Uh, uh, it talks about prayer. But I had to talk about the prayer and how our supplications are directly to the Father, and the Father listens to us and answers prayer, and basically it's an open heaven, according to that. Uh, however, God showed me something else in, included in that. I mean, prayers are certainly part of it, but showed me something else inclusive this morning. I want to give it to you. So let me go ahead and do some some groundwork first, and then I'll give you the revelation that God has given me, and uh, and uh, we can uh, get a, a better understanding of what's meant by living under an open heaven. So, uh, an open heaven number one is our inheritance. I put this in my notes. I, what I do is I, I get when I sit down in prayer, God will give me something. I'll write it down. Or I'll hear something, I'll write it down. Or I'll see something, I'll write it down. And I, I, I put these notes in my, in my, that are in pertinent to what we're, we're talking about this morning. But an open heaven is our inheritance. I'm going to get into this in a minute. Uh, but let me tell you what it is. An open heaven is our inheritance. It's uh, meaning the Father's desire for fellowship with us through the Holy Spirit. That's going to be the encapsulation of what we're talking about. It's the Father's desire to fellowship with us. And I don't know if he, I was sharing some stories with our leadership in the war room when we were, Diane and I were raising our kids. Um, and, and, you know, I had a son and a daughter. So I had one of each. Uh, the son I understood better than I understood the daughter. My wife understood the daughter better than she understood the son. So the two of us were a team. But how many ever raised kids and would, would agree that kids are challenging? Anybody here would, would say that kids are challenging? We're Saray. There you are. I'm looking at you, Saray. Praise the Lord uh, with your little darling. Um, but kids are challenging. But what if, just to say, what if all the child wanted to do come to you whenever they wanted something? In other words, they wouldn't talk to you any other time, but when they would enter your presence only for one purpose is, gimme, 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 my name is Jimmy. You get, um, what, would you, what would be your reaction as a parent? Forget it. Man, that's it. I mean, you're, you're my son or my daughter, and I love you, but you got this irritating habit of only talking to me when you want something. I don't know. I'm a father. That would irritate me, has, <laughs> from time to time. So what was, what was required of the parent? Uh, better teaching. Better teaching. And we would give our kids knowledge of how to even uh, relate to the mother and father. We're different, we, but, we're, but there's a way to relate to us that we get together as a family. Anyway, uh, uh, the word presence, we, you hear this a lot, coming into the presence of God. You're going to hear this a lot more because basically I see this is where God is heading for his church. Uh, presence. I was sharing, I'm not teaching on this, but how many remember the parable of the ten virgins? 
we all know five were wise and five were foolish. How many remember that? Okay, my question is this, and I've taught this every different way. I've taught this thing for years. Uh, but I, I realized something. So this was the question I had just this week. Okay, for the five wise, what made them wise? And what made the foolish foolish? Well, that's pretty, that's pretty simple. Uh, the wise had extra oil. Okay, how many would agree? You know the story? They had extra oil. And the extra oil was to burn their lamps because when the bridegroom showed up, they had enough oil to fuel their lamps. Correct? If you ran out of oil, your lamp went out and you did, the, the bridegroom couldn't find you because basically you were in darkness and you didn't prepare. That was simple in itself, but what got me thinking uh, this week, what, what got in to the wise that they knew to prepare for extra oil? What was, no, let me phrase that another way. What's the driving force to get extra? Such a deep devotional desire to see that bridegroom, they weren't going to let anything run short of coming face to face with the bridegroom. Their whole idea for having extra oil was the fact is, I'm not going to miss this. And I'm going to be prepared. My lamp is going to be lit because I want to see the face of the bridegroom. Now, with that said, the word presence of God is the same word in the Hebrew that means face to face. Amen? Now, if you remember, Moses was the one man in the Old Testament who actually saw God face to face. This is before Jesus, before God became humanity. That's another dimension. But he actually saw God face to face and was on Mount Sinai. Would he give him the, uh, the commandments? He, remember, God took his finger and he etched him in the stone. But he actually saw God face to face. Okay, he, so he had a face-to-face -face encounter in the presence of God. And when he came off the mountain, Mount Sinai, the people couldn't stand to look at him because of the kind of glory that was upon him from just being in the presence of the Father. But the Father wasn't available to everybody in the, in the Old Testament, only certain few. Moses was one of the chosen few. So Moses didn't lead his people out of the rules that were given him. He led God's people out of a heart for God and knew the characteristics that nobody else knew, but knew the characteristics in the heart of the Father, and that's how he led from that, from that encounter. What would it be like today if we had such an encounter with the Heavenly Father that it would guide and, and, and show us all the things that we would need to do and begin to live life? How do you think our life would change? Amen. Now, what I'm going to give you this morning would probably be classified as meat of the word. As Paul said, remember, Paul classified them as two, two, the milk of the word and the meat of the word. Well, milk soothes, meat promotes change. Amen? So I'll, I'll give you a chance right now. This is going to be meat going forth. Anybody don't want, is not hungry for a steak this morning? You can be excused right now. I'll give you five seconds. Okay, you're stuck. Hallelujah. <laughs> You're here. Praise the Lord. Anyway, so I got thinking about this. The word presence of God, I'm looking, I'm, I'm in, in face to face. I'm not the back of God, like I'm not trying to get his attention. But at a face to face encounter with God, I don't have to try to, Lord, you remember me down here uh, going through all this and going through that, having this problem? Remember me, God? Remember me? It's not that at all. Is that we're looking at God right face to face. Okay, explain. Go ahead. Talk. Let's talk. Let's commune. Hmm. Mark chapter 1, if you want to go ahead and turn there. Mark chapter 1. I'm going to fast forward you into the New Testament right now. Uh, but it, it says this. Mark chapter 1. Verse, I'm going to start reading for verse 9. But we see this in the scriptures. It says, And it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee, and was baptized by John in the River Jordan. How many remember that encounter? Amen. So Jesus was baptized. Why? I could stop right there and we can have a, we can have a whole discussion about Jesus' water baptism. Because I understand the water baptism, Old Testament, New Testament, however you want to put it. Water baptism was for the remission of sin. Why would Jesus have to go through water baptism when he didn't have any sin? All you seminary students can figure that one out, praise the Lord. Because what happens was everything that Jesus took part in, and you're about to see in a minute, 
was a fulfillment of what God the Father put on him. Jesus said, the only thing I do, I do with what the Father has shown me. Jesus laid aside, now he was all God and he was all man, but he laid aside his deity to walk as man to show us how it's done. Now, if Jesus did all the things as God, in his power as God, I would be impressed, immensely impressed, but I wouldn't be able to relate. I'd be impressed from a distance. I would admire what Jesus has done, but I would never consider myself to be a part of because he's God. So Jesus, as an act of his will, laid aside his deity. He went connected with the Father. So all around Jesus, we're about to see it here, all around Jesus was an open heaven. And he says, the things you see me do, the things that the Father tells I will only do what the Father tells me to do. I will only act as the Father has me act. So you can see that here I'm human form like you, but I have the access to the Father. Very important to understand that we're going to understand the presence of God. He's baptized in the river Jordan. Verse 10 says, immediately he coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens part, heavens parting and the spirit descending upon him like a dove and a voice from heaven came, you are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. I don't know about you, but that would be an earth shattering water baptism. I've done hundreds of water baptisms. That would be the one. Now, I baptize probably half the people in this church right here underneath our platform. We have a baptistry and I've baptized probably most of you people here, and I never once heard God shout, this is my son or my daughter who I'm well pleased. <laughs> Granted, you're on your way to being well pleased, but <laughs> at that particular time, we did not hear that. So why would Jesus have to go through a repentance of sin? So basically, who is sinless, the only person on the planet who was sinless, had access to the Father, but that what happened was through that water baptism, because we say this is a death, burial, and resurrection. It's an identification with death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. That's what water baptism is. We go under the water as a symbolism of being in the tomb. We come up in the newness of life and the new creation that God has created us. And it's basically that's what water baptism is all about. So Jesus didn't come up in the newness of life. He come up to this parting, heaven's parting. Now I looked up that word in the Greek. Jesus comes up out of the water. The first thing he sees is the heavens parting. And we think, that's nice. Little puffy clouds just kind of dissipated. And the sun came out and the birds tweeted. And it was all, no, no, that's not it at all. I looked this up in the Greek. And basically the same word that's used for parting is the same word in Matthew chapter 27. You can look it up for yourself if you want to. Matthew chapter 27, verse 51. And behold, the veil, this is talking about the veil in the temple, uh, in the temple was torn. That word torn is the same word for parting the atmosphere. God actually ripped open that veil in the temple, if you, if you know anything about the veil, was four to six inches thick. That was the veil in the holies of holies that separated, uh, in a holy place, separated a holy place from the holies of holies where the Ark of the Covenant was. Any person that entered that veiled area would immediately fall over dead if they weren't supposed to be in there. Okay, uh, so, so only the priests and certain ones, and they had to go through rituals just to enter into the presence of God because behind that veil of presence. When Jesus was crucified, that veil rent from heaven's side, God's side, from top to bottom. It's the same word that he used when he parted the atmosphere. So what does that mean? It means when Jesus come up out of the water, not for remission of sins, but for the parting of the heavens. The purpose of Jesus going into the water, coming back, was a parting of the heavens. So what's so significant about that? Because right now, or in this part of the story, I say right now, it's part of, this part of the story. Part of the story, Jesus is the only one on the planet that has an open heaven over him. So when he went, laid hands on the sick, the sick were recovered because of an open heaven that was placed over him by the Father, saying he is well pleased. So when he goes out into the wilderness and fasts, what is he doing about the fast? Had nothing to do with encountering the devil. The devil just shows up. Jesus wasn't acting in the wilderness to confront the devil or to call the devil out. He was going through the, the process of putting his flesh under submission so it would always stay under that open heaven, and he was preparing himself for the ministry that was laid before him for the next three years. The devil just happened to show up at that time like he does for you and tries to convince you of something different than what God wants for you. Isn't that what he tried to do? He tried to divert Jesus because Satan heard that voice like everybody else heard that voice. Uh-huh, this is the guy I'm honing in on. 
So when God began to speak through the open heaven, it marked Jesus for Satan. But it wasn't about Jesus. Didn't, God doesn't do things to counteract the devil. We think it's God and the devil. God and the, No, no, no. The devil isn't even in existence, really. All God has to do is one woof of his breath, and the devil's dissipated. We think hell is a place where devil works out. That's his headquarters. He works out. No, no, he's not even there yet. He roams the earth. Hell is reserved for a final ending punishment. So he doesn't operate in his kingdom from a certain operating place at all. So basically, God doesn't do things according to what the, to try to counter the next move of the devil. We do that, but God does not do that. God doesn't even take the devil into, into account or, or, or even give him a consideration. He's a fallen spirit. He's dead. He, he, to, to God, he is nothing. But Jesus, with that open heaven, now he could go out and do the will of the Father because he was constantly with open heaven, constantly in the presence of the Father. So he could hear the Father talk. He knew exactly every circumstance. He knew what the Father wanted him to do. He gets in the boat, uh, and all of a sudden, a storm rises up. What does Jesus do? He stands in the boat, peace be still. The open heaven, peace came down from the realm of where the Father is that wasn't in, particularly on the earth at that particular moment or, or space of time, but God descended the peace, the Father descended the peace through the open heaven, and the seas calmed. And Jesus turned to the disciples and said, you a little faith. What do you mean? You mean they could have done the same thing? That's exactly what Jesus meant. Why? Because as long as he was in the boat, the whole boat was under an open heaven. And anybody in that boat had access to the Father, but because they didn't understand it, they didn't move into it. The same way we're Christians don't move into it today. Hmm. Help anybody this morning? Amen. Praise the Lord. I just, this, this is a, this is a good, good message. After this, well, look at Jesus. Let me just quote something. John chapter 16, verse 7. I'm going to give you a bunch of scriptures this morning. So if you can just write them down or you can go on YouTube and get the whole message again if you want to. But, uh, but John chapter 16, verse 7, he says, nevertheless, Jesus is saying, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage, advantage is what the, I'm reading down New King James, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, uh, I think the King James Bible calls it the comforter, comforter, helper, the helper will not come to you. So the helper is to come to us when Jesus goes. So he says, For, but if I depart, I will send him to you. Now, how many know Jesus died, rose from the dead? We're coming up on Easter, so we're about to celebrate that all over again. And then, and then through that, what happens? Well, we get to be born again. We get the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that descended upon Jesus that he walked on through an open heaven. So when he says here, I'm going to, uh, uh, it's, it, it's, it's to your advantage that I go away, because when I go away, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, which we know the helper, the comforter, I mean, you want, how you want to say it, but the, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. What's significant about the Holy Spirit? As long as that presence of the Holy Spirit is on you or me, we constantly walk underneath an open heaven. So the open heaven is there. And, and, and basically, we have our prayers uh, is, is part of it. We can supplement God. We can ask God for, for we can petition him. We can ask him for this and ask him for that in open prayers. But better than that, along with praying or asking, God and Jesus has also given us something called a decree. I just did a message on decrees. To where you say what Jesus has already said and what he told us we could say. That's a decree. So we can decree underneath that open heaven, the power of heaven is behind us in that decree in the name of Jesus that we use, and that's how it operates. Amen. So now wherever you walk, you're walking with the Holy Spirit. You're walking under an open heaven. But you can be in the presence of the Father and not recognize Him. You can sit in the presence of the Father and you can go to sleep if you want to. And you'll never understand what he's about. You can sin right into the presence under the open heaven and never realize. So where does the realization come? It doesn't come from our brain. It doesn't come from our soulish realm, but it comes from our spirits. Because the Holy Spirit comes upon us. There are two works of the Holy Spirit. There's a Holy Spirit that you give when you're born again. The Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit that we talk about. The infilling of the Holy Spirit, Acts chapter 2. 
When that comes upon you, what happened? Isn't it amazing? There was no heavens that ripped apart. There was no parting in the upper room. There was the, he- the, the Spirit descending upon and descending upon all the... Uh, all. See, see, there's a difference. The Holy Spirit in me is for me. The Holy Spirit that comes upon me is for you. I'll say it again. The Holy Spirit that resides in me is for me. I'm born again. I'm encouraged. I'm, you know, i got the Spirit of God. It's for me. But then there's another Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes upon me from an open heaven, comes upon me, it's for you. So when the Holy Spirit comes upon me, I can lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. If the Holy Spirit comes upon me and I pray for your finances, you can increase in finances. Because it's not the Holy Spirit that's within me, it's the Holy Spirit to come upon me, standing on upon the word that God has given me. Is that, is it, help everybody? I told you it's going to be a chunk of meat. But if you can grab a hold of this, I'm, I'm telling you, this will change everything. It'll change your perspective in your relationship with the Father that Jesus paid for. Amen? The only, one, the only person that paid for it was Jesus. Praise the Lord. Let me give you this other little hint. <laughs> just indulge me for a minute. I just think this is cool. Uh, John chapter 16, verse 7. Again. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth that it's, it's to your advantage that I go away. The word advantage in the Greek, the same Greek word that's used here for advantage or, or uh, expedient. I think the King James Bible uses the word expedient. Know what it means? Are you ready for this? You know what it means? To bring together. To bring together. He said it's expedient. He says, he says the helper is here to come and to bring together. Bring together what? The Holy Spirit is bringing you together with the power of God. You together with the heart of the Father. You together with all the price that Jesus paid for. You together with the prosperity God talks about. You together with everything that the Holy Spirit represents. Our purpose, our plans, uh, uh, everything. It's a coming together. That's what it means in the Greek. Advantage. So it's an advantage if the Holy Spirit comes together with us. (laughs) I guess I can say it that way. Praise the Lord. I just think this is cool. Isn't it amazing to give you another idea open heaven? What happened after the tomb, after the, the, the resurrection, something happened. Jesus walked 40 days. We know that happened. 40 days. And then, of course, 10 days from that is the 50th day after Passover, which is Pentecost. So Jesus was here 40 days, showed himself, not only that, if you read the book of Matthew, you'll find out Matthew said that many graves opened up at the same time Jesus did. Hmm. <laughs> that would shake some people up. Of the saints that died before arose with him and showed themselves in Jerusalem. So you can explain one body raised from the dead, but all of a sudden you see Abraham, Noah, Elijah walking around in the streets, that would shake you up. That's got to shake up a town. really does. But you notice that when he ascended, he had to be born through the womb of a woman to get into the planet, but not to leave. Matter of fact, he goes to the disciples, he says, walk with me for a ways. One Sabbath journey. One one Sabbath journey. In other words, a Sabbath journey in, in the Old Testament, a Sabbath journey was no longer than two miles. So on any Sabbath day, you cannot walk any further than two miles. So if you're here on Stock Island on a Sabbath, you're stuck. You can't walk to Key West. It's too far. Two miles. So Jesus says, walk with me. And I'm looking at this thing. I'm thinking, this is, okay, this is too cool. I, 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 I just like this. He says, walk with him. And in Luke chapter 20, 24, and he said to them, he says, out as far as Bethany. In other words, he said, he said walk with me. And Jesus went as far as Bethany. Hang on to that for a minute. And what he did, he sat there, and he was talking to them, standing in, in Bethany, probably just on the city limits of Bethany, uh, uh, but standing there. And, and, and he was talking to them, and at that time, he picked up his hands, and he began to bless them. And as he blessed them, he ascended. I looked at this, I said, wait a minute, Jesus, you were interrupted by the ascension. In other words, you were blessing, you were saying things, and at that time you were blessing, you went up into the clouds. 
And the Holy Spirit began to speak to me. He says, he says I was interrupted. It's continuing today. It's a continuation. What happened then is a continuation of what's happening today. Helping anybody this morning? Okay, praise the Lord. Amen. Bethany, what's, the, what's interesting about Bethany? The only city I can find that has two meanings to the name. One is city of song, and the other is city of anguish. Hmm. What did Jesus go through? The song of praise, and then all of a sudden the anguish, and so on and so forth. Anyway, Bethany. Here's the most significant part about Bethany. Uh, Bethany, and I was surprised. I, I put this to my leadership. But what happened in Bethany that Jesus would, would, would use, pick that particular town? What happened there? And, and, uh, and Jeff Rice, right away, he, he, said, he says, well, he says, that's where Lazarus was raised from the dead. I said, bingo, you get a gold star for the day. Lazarus was raised from the dead. Isn't it fitting that where he raised a dead body up, that he himself rose up from the dead, and now he's going to ascend from that spot? I just think it's cool. Uh, I think it's just, you know, uh, if nothing more than that, it's just cool. Uh, and so Jesus departed, or if we want to call it that, but he departed, he went up to heaven. Ten days later, he sent the comfort, the Holy Spirit that fell on the Pentecost. And ever since then, the heaven has not closed up. Who takes advantage of an open heaven? The ones that preside with the Holy Spirit. Have access to the open heaven. And do we know it? We know it or not? Let me tell you something. You have more access to the Father than what the devil wants you to understand. You have more power within the words of Christ, even if you're repeating them or parroting those words, you're just mimicking those words. There are more power in those words than any words you could ever speak out of your mouth. Because we have an open heaven. Not so with the patriarchs. They had to wait, and, and God had to open things up for this and that and show them this and that. And it was only on certain individuals. It wasn't on, on everybody or on nations. Praise the Lord. So everybody now who calls himself a Christian, uh, baptized in the Holy Spirit, everyone can, can now claim, I live in open heaven. Now, what does it mean? It means that we're going to have to change some, make some adjustments in our realization. I'll put it this way. There's awakening coming to the body of Christ, just like there was that awakening to the ten virgins. And all of a sudden, they all went, they all slept, they all did the same thing, they all had lamps, they all had little flames burning. They're all virgins, so that means a sign of purity, they're all the church. But what happened, the ones with the, with the extra zeal, the ones with the ones that had the, the extra commitment, I'm not missing this for nothing. I'm going to make sure I have what I need to get through this, this life. I'm not going to be strapped here, stuck here, because I run out of oil. Mm. I think that's pretty cool. So guess what? Their lamps parted the heavens. And as long as there are lamps and they had enough oil to keep their flame going, they lived under an open heaven. However, the Bible clearly says, when Jesus gave this parable, clearly says that to those that didn't have any oil or ran out of oil, it was shut. And that's the word it's used. The door was shut. Okay, well, praise the Lord. I can see right now you're all impressed. Good preaching, Pastor Kevin. I'll just, that's all. I, I, just, I, I got it. I got it. I got it. It's good. It's good. Praise Lord. Forget it. Too late. Amen. <laughs> this idea, I started practicing this on my own a while ago, but I started practicing this. Man, what can I, how can I get in? The, the getting into the presence of the Father is as simple as changing your mind. It's as simple as changing your mind. How many know you have a spirit? How many know that they have a spirit within them? You have three parts. Paul says three parts. You have a body. That's this flesh thing we lug around with us, <laughs> and we have a soul, which is our mind, intellect, our character, and our personality is also in the soul, and we have a spirit. That's the part that got born again, brand new creation, never before existed. Your body is the same old body you've been carting around for how many years you are alive, but the fact is your spirit can be brand new. And that's the spirit, that's the part that God has, has made a new creation. So what do you have between the body of the flesh that complains a lot? How many have a flesh that complains a lot? 
I'm hungry, I'm tired, I'm sore, this hurts, that hurts. Uh, why do we got to do this again? Uh, I don't like exercise. I hate riding this bicycle. I, you know, I, you know all, all the things that our body talks about. But your, 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 your soul has to tell the body, shut up. How many tell their body to shut up? I was expecting a better response than that. Hallelujah. But, it didn't, but what happens, so the, the soul, the intellect, less lies between the body, which is complaining all the time, and the spirit, who is trying to get its information and get its fellowship and relationship with God. So here you have the soul that's in the middle. Well, praise the Lord. I should go to church today, but you know we just changed the clocks. Uh-huh. Uh, look close to, too close to home, is it? Praise the Lord. All right. Anyway, you know, uh, you know, I had to set my clock ahead. So what do I do, Pastor? Go to bed earlier. Well, I, I couldn't help. I was late for church because you know, my, my clocks. I says, leave earlier. <laughs> Don't get any sympathy from me. <laughs> praise the Lord. I'm here. I was here at 730. Praise the Lord. Amen. <laughs> But I noticed the connection to getting into the presence of the Father is sometimes as simple as changing our mind. But maybe not so simple. The mind is the one thing we're supposed to be renewed. We're supposed to renew our thoughts. We're supposed to renew our mind is what the Bible tells us to do. What do we renew it to? We just get another way of thinking. Uh, we take up another hobby. What, I mean, how do we change our mind? We feed on the word. Two places when I, when I want to listen to God, two places God has been able to speak to me in volumes. Uh, I should say with a volume turned up. <laughs> Number one, when I read the word of God, I can open up the word of God and read and uh, just read until he speaks. Uh, a lot of times is how, we, how I get listening to the Lord. And here's the other time. Are you ready for this? This may shock you, but God speaks to me very loudly and very clearly when it comes to me parting with my money. You all call that offerings. I call it parting with my money. <laughs> or is it? So what happened, I've listened to this, and, 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 and God says, I'm going to speak to you the other way. What? I mean, I've got the Bible open. I'm going to speak to you the other way. Oh, you mean, you mean the offering? Uh, okay, so uh, uh, let me check with my, my wife. fills out the check. She does our accounting. I said, make sure we're caught up. No, she's not what I'm talking about. It's not what I'm talking about. He says, turn to Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. And you just read it up here. Remember our offering? We put it up on, so we do the same thing. Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. Are you ready to read this? You sure? You know every time a preacher reads Malachi 3, 10, he's going to take up another offering. Oh, she says, are you ready with another offering? Ah, sit back down. That's not what I'm, doing. That's what I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you that that's not what that scripture is necessarily talking about. It does include it, but it's not necessarily. How many would like a new revelation for that scripture? Amen. Oh, praise God. Please. Hallelujah. Please give us a new revelation. We hate offerings. I just said what you were thinking. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. This is what God was showing me. Okay. Bring all the tithes and offerings in the storehouse. I knew it. He's going to take up an offering. No, no, no. Listen to the whole thing. You got to go get the whole thing through. Bring all the tithes and offerings in the storehouse so there'll be meat or so there'll be food. I'm going to read New King James. So there'll be food in my house. Who's saying this? Is it Malachi or is it God? God is saying this. So whose house is it? God's house. Let's establish that right off. My Bible has a capital M. That means God's house. So there'll be food. Food. Hmm. What do you do with food? Anybody here know what to do with food? I'm talking to the right church. I know I'm in the right church now when it comes to food. <laughs> we know exactly what to do with food. Is food something that we want? Uh-huh. Don't look at the clock. It's not 12 o'clock yet. How many like food? In this? Is this a church I'm talking about food? Come on. We put the Baptists to shame when it comes to eating. Food. So there'll be food in my house. And then he says this. He said, and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open up the windows of where? Heaven? Open up the open up. I will open up heaven. I'll open up heaven and pour out a, a, a blessing, such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. 
Hmm. Go after him and receive it, and I will rebuke the devourer. Who is that? Who's the devourer? Oh, thank God we got that one squared away. I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. We know these scriptures. So that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground. Fruit of your ground. You've got to get fruit out of the ground, but you first have to sow a seed to get the seed to grow, to have to take root before you're going to get a harvest. He said, I'll, and Satan wants to destroy at the seed form. He wants to destroy the end result, which is your harvest. He wants to stop the beginning before it comes into an end, which is a blessing for you. God says, no, he won't do that. I'll stop him. Mm, I like it. I love it. I love it. He says, for, uh, he won't destroy the works, see, fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail or bear fruit for you in his, in his field, says the Lord of hosts. Let me unwrap this all. I'm saying this scripture is an invitation by God to come into his presence. And from that presence, he's going to do all these things to destroy the devourer that is devouring your finances and everything else from you and me. Now, he mentioned a tithe, but he did not say offerings. Why did he mention a tithe, but he fails? Usually tithes and offerings, tithes and offerings. Tithe is a 10%. That belongs to God. But the offerings is what we do out of share of love for God over and above what he's asking. And that's an offering. And the offering is what brings us 30, 60, 100 fold return according to the scriptures, according to what Jesus was saying about the parable. Hmm. The tithe, listen to this. The tithe, 10% is what belongs to God. Established way back in the Old Testament, it was a tribe of Levite. You see our tribal flags up on the, right? Well, the tribe of Levite was one tribe that was not allowed to possess land in the promised land. They didn't possess land. They couldn't have crops. They couldn't have crops. They couldn't have an income. So God's established a way, and he called it tithe. And he said, the tithe is holy unto me, and it was to support the tribe of Levite. So the whole uh, other nation supported the tribe of Levite for what they made in the prosperity. If they had the prosperity, the Levite tribe prospered. If they had no prosperity or drought, the Levite tribe suffered. But the Levites are what dedicated their service to the Lord. Uh, today's modern ministry, I guess, full-time ministry, and that's what they, what they did. So it came up with tithe. tithe. God said, tithe is a holiness, is holy unto me because I've commanded it. So what God is saying, let me go back to Malachi here. That's, that's another, I won't get off on another teaching. But he said, Malachi is saying, bring the tithes into the storehouse and there'll be food in my house. Give me what is mine in my house. Now, when he says house, here's an interesting thing. How many here visit one another? Y'all visit one another? Or you're just kind of just individuals. You don't, how many visit people? When you visit somebody, do you bring something to their house? Huh? Is that a custom in Africa, Joy? You to bring something, right? It's a custom, I found it's a custom in Costa Rica. It's a custom in Guatemala. It's a custom in Chile. It's a custom in, in, in Peru. It's a custom every place I've been. It's even a custom in London. Can you imagine that? England. England has customs. Hallelujah. <clears throat> Never mind. I'm going to stop right there. Hallelujah. It's a custom in Ireland. It's a custom every place I went to bring something to a house. And if somebody calls and invites you over for dinner, say, ah, come over to my house for dinner. That's not an invitation, by the way. I'm just expounding. Then you say, is there something I can bring? Uh, yeah, bring dessert. No, forget it. I don't like your dessert. Bring <laughs> So anyway, we coordinate and we come up with a menu. For what are we doing? What are we, what are we doing? What's all this for? So we can sit down and fellowship. So we can visit. Uh, maybe it's the holidays. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's no occasion at all. Maybe we just want to get together. Maybe, maybe we like you and we just want to get, get with you. Amen? Yeah. Ah, come over, we'll have a barbecue. We'll do this. We'll do that. And we come over and, 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 the, and the cars all line up in front of my house and they got all this food that they carry and they drop it there and say, okay, then we're going to have a, a celebration. Well, you just brought something out of your, that was yours, and you brought it. Why? Because that was the custom to do. God is taking that same idea, and he's saying, bring the tithes, which belong to me. So give me what belongs to me, so that my house, there can be food in my house, so everybody can eat and enjoy. Now, what do we, what do we just do? We just did something that is so un-American church, it isn't funny. We thought about somebody else besides ourselves. Amen. 
God is saying, this is the, I'm, I'm, I'm going to present this, Malachi, as an invitation to come into the presence of God. This is the invitation to come to God's house face to face. Now, this is God's house. This building is not God's house when we leave it. This is just a building. And there's buildings like this all over the world. And there's people gathering today all over the world as God's household. And God is looking at all of them, not as separate little individuals. He's looking at all of them as his family and is inviting all of them because each one comes with their purpose and their gifting that they have to give and all come together. But when we come to his house, God said, this is my house. This is not your house. This is not necessarily your idea, but my invitation. So if you want to come, you can come and you can be present now. Now, with Malachi, the prophecy going forth, he's actually prophesying before it even happened. He's prophesying an open heaven because now we have access, direct access to the Father. And the price of admission is not bring the tithes. That's not a price of admission. That's to pull back the devouring factor that you kept that the devil is using to worm his way into your life to devour from you to start with. He said, let's get out of the way right now. And I'll rebuke the devourer, and he won't be able to touch you. Not because we've done something fantastic with our tithe, it's but because we have a, 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 we've accepted the invitation to be in the presence, face to face, the Father. So guess what? The offering this morning was more than just bringing, giving God back what belongs to him. All right, I'll make my payment to holiness. There you go. It's no wonder that the church is living back in the dark ages. It's no wonder our ceremonies and our rituals uh, reflect that of the middle, uh, uh, medieval times. Why medieval times? Because if you study anything about history, that's where the miracles stopped is when church got in bed with government and government got in bed with churches when the miracles were cut off. That's not what happens. They closed up the heaven by becoming legalistic more than holy. Desiring to get something for something rather than to go to the Father and have His access. Why? One depicts an idea of what I want to do and the other depicts the idea of the will of God. And that's the choice we all make even today. Am I going to have my way what I think should happen or what I want to happen or what I want to see God do for me? I, I, I said this. <laughs> I, I, I don't know if I said this before. I'm going to, I'm going to say it again. If you have an attitude, that's eh, to call it an attitude because you're going to cut that off. Let me say, if you have a mindset or you have a thought, if you have a thought that God is your servant, he will frustrate you and disappoint you forever. But if you are his servants, he will, servant, he will constantly amaze you. So what does it mean to have God for a servant? It means, well, you're gonna, when you have a problem, you're going to pray. And when God comes down, he's supposed to come down. He's supposed to fix that problem for you, whatever it is. And if he doesn't do that, then we start to wonder what's wrong with him. I prayed and prayed and prayed that God didn't do nothing for me. Really? Was that the purpose of your prayer? Can I readjust your thinking a little bit this morning? Can I suggest this? What if we didn't ask God for anything? Oh, but Jesus said, in that day you'll ask of me nothing. That's right, ask of him nothing. But ask the Father in my name. To ask the Father in your name, it brings you into the presence face to face with the Father. Is he just looking to meet what you need? Or are you, are you equipping yourself for the next plan God has for your life? I came to Key West 30, 31 years ago. I think it would come up on 31 years ago. Planted this church, started this church with very little help. <laughs> but over the years, the church has filled up, emptied out, filled up, and emptied out, filled up, and emptied out. Not because of me, not because of my preaching or anything else, but because that's just the nature of Key West. People are transient. They move in, they move out, they move in, move out. I seem to be the one permanent fixture here. <laughs> I remember thinking, I was sharing this with some of my leadership this morning, I remember thinking, I wish somebody would hire me so I could quit. Or better yet, I wish somebody could hire me so I could be fired from this rotten little place called Key West. 
So I did not care if somebody got ticked off and left my church because they didn't like what I was preaching. I called that freedom. <laughs> because I thought when the last, and I used to say this, when the last person leaves, turn off the light, I've got a house up on the beach in Deerfield Beach, and I like it up there better anyway. This years ago, not, not anymore, years ago. And I was praying one day, I said, this, things are going good. And believe it or not, my church was filling up. Well, that wasn't good news. How am I ever going to get off this island if everybody keeps insisting on coming to this church? Now, that is the opposite thinking, which I also thought was holy, because opposite of what most pastors would think down there. Of course, most pastors down here were hired anyway. They never started to work. The independent works couldn't make it down here for whatever reason. They just, they, they would start for a while. And they, but this is one little, <laughs> well, I'll keep refraining from my opinion. But anyway, uh, so I thought well, this is this. One day God jerked the slack out of my little self. I was much younger back then, much more stupid. And, uh, and, and, and he says, as long as you keep on doing this, he says, my work will prosper. The word going forth, you cannot retract. It'll still set forth and will not return unto me void. However, you are cutting yourself out of the very blessings that I want for you. Because your heart desire is not here in this Key West or this rock where I have placed you. Your desire is someplace else. As long as your desire is someplace else, I can't get the blessings through you apart from the work that I promised to put here. God only had to say that and about 30 seconds later, I changed my whole attitude. I went to a conference, and I was in a prophetic conference of all things up in Santa Rosa Beach. And I sat in a conference, and a woman that I never met before, uh, she was a prophet. She got up and speak, and she mentioned my wife and myself by name. Are you here? We were pastors. They knew we were pastors. I said, you were here, so we should stand up. She says, you've been contemplating going someplace else, but I'm going to tell you right now, God is saying he wants you to homestead right where you're trying to move from. The moment before that, Diane and I were talking in the car, and we were talking about, you know, Montana would be nice this time of year. I don't know why Montana's not nice any time of year. But <laughs> we were just goofing off and saying, well, y'all, uh, I'm tired of, of Florida. We just go someplace. I'll be a cowboy someplace. I know horses. I said, it'd be a good thing. I'd just go ahead and do that. And, and you know, just, and just joking around. But somehow God didn't take that as a joke when we were joking around in the car and put this upon this woman. We shared about it. We laughed about it later. I said, I came back with a new attitude in the Key West. I said, you know what? Hell can't move me off this rock. And nine hurricanes couldn't. I'm telling you, I refuse to live a, a life that always chasing after somebody else or someplace else. I said, we're settling this. God with my wife said, we're settling this. This is our home. I said, I'm going to homestead this for all it's worth. And let God do what he will. From this church here, I've gone to five different continents and ministered around the world. From the Key West airport, because I don't like driving to Miami. I don't like driving past Miami, let alone through Miami. I live in a vacation paradise of the entire North America. I'm not going to go to Miami. Sorry, Miami, but I'm not called. <laughs> That's not God's purpose for me. Hallelujah. <laughs> and we do want his divine purpose for Kevin Kerr, don't we? Hallelujah. Amen. Just like you want a divine purpose for you. How did you learn that? The presence of God. Didn't learn that because I had an ambition or ambition doing it. And I was ambitious back then. Trust me. And, uh, but the fact is, it wasn't about ambition. As soon as I got Kevin Kerr, we've said this, get out of the way and let God come in, it becomes a new situation. Not talking about monumental change, we're just talking about changing your mind. Keep your same eating habits, I don't care. Uh, keep your same spending money habits, uh, Amazon credit card, I don't care. But change your thoughts. If you can do this, if I can challenge you this morning to do this, Change your thoughts about who he is and the access we have with the Father. Change that, I dare you. I dare you. I double-dog dare you. I dare you cross that line. Double-dog, double-dog dare you. Go ahead, change your mind about God. I just double-dog dare you. Because if you will, 
God will take care of everything else. Amen. We live under an open heaven. I hope this has a different meaning now than just your prayer and your prayer life. Peter says this, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says this. I'm almost done. Uh, Peter said this, he said, as his divine power, where does divine power come from? It comes from an open heaven. From his divine power, he has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Why did he say all things? This is all through the Bible. All things, all things, all things. Why does he say all things? Jesus says this. He says, all things that the Father have are mine. This will blow your socks off, Gospel of John. And I give it to you. Now, wait a minute. The Father's a good steward. He's not wasteful. So he said, I'm giving all things to you. Now, we'll, you can put in the caption, all things. Well, why do you say all things? Because to fulfill our assignment that God has placed us here on the earth, that's what we have, by the way. It's going to take all things that he's made available to us to accomplish that assignment. Amen? Hmm. I thought that was pretty good. Can you stand one more? Can you stand two more? I got like eight pages. I, I go on and on and on. I gotta, I gotta, I'm watching my time. I am really, seriously. How many know, ever heard this, that Jesus is the firstborn of many brethren? I want to give this, this is, well, this is for anybody, but our church, I want you to have this in your knower. Really good. Um, because we're going to move on some of this stuff um, in, in the future, coming up in different things we're going to do. Anyway, so let me give you this. How many know it says that Jesus is the firstborn of many brethren? Now, let's not get real theological about this. Uh, the fact is, firstborn has a particular meaning. Firstborn in a Jewish household was the oldest son. I've seen this firsthand because my brother-in-law is Israeli in Israel. Uh, he has an older son. His name is Guy. And Guy, because he's the oldest, because he was the firstborn of three children he has, uh, Guy, Raheli, and, uh, and, uh, and Yoash, those three. Uh, so he has two boys and a girl. But Guy is the oldest. So basically, he set up, or he's alive. I mean, he set up, but he's set up his will, and to, so the family doesn't get together with little arguments. We settle out who's going to get who. They have a big family meeting, and of course, the Jewish tradition plays into this. And he says, "Guy, he says, you're going to have the farm. You're going to have all this. You're going to have the, everything that I have is going to be given to Guy. Uh, Raheli, you're going to have this, and Yoash, you're going to have this, and I set this aside for you, and so, so, and basically put it all out there." So when the Bible says firstborn in the Jewish household, the eldest son was given a double portion. Jesus says, all things that I have are now yours. So basically, kind of technically, we're also the firstborn of many brethren through Christ. So all things that God has are ours. So we say, hallelujah. I feel a prosperity message coming on. Not quite. Because here's where we missed it as far as the faith message, as far as the prosperity message. Here's where we missed it. You see, the, first, the double portion as an inheritance is not promised because of self-importance. It wasn't promised because of favoritism. It was promised because of responsibility. Because you see, the firstborn promise was the promise to take care of everybody else in the family. So going back to my brother-in-law, because it's a pretty good example, because I was there, uh, you know, listening to my brother-in-law tell me all this stuff. So basically, Guy, who is the oldest, uh, any oldest Jewish household, this oldest son, his responsibility is to oversee it now. All of a sudden, if the other ones uh, were foolish with their inheritance and they end up broke or poverty, poverty is under the curse of the law. The Jewish family, <laughs> they, they ain't gonna, that's not going to float. It was a job of the oldest who had the prosperity from the estate to go ahead and take care of everybody else. How's that work today in church? Okay, basically, we have this individualism doctrine and theology goes through. Jesus is my personal Lord and Savior. Well, whoop de doo but he also made you a part of the body of Christ. So how do you, how do you balance the books when it comes to from the body of Christ? I'm the firstborn of many brethren. Guess what? God's given me his prosperity. Uh-huh. And what do you do with it? But you got all your other brothers and sisters around you that are living in less than standard conditions. 
but you're prosperous. Well, they can get it the same way I can get it. Is that what the firstborn claim is? Uh-uh. The firstborn is given from the father, is given down as an inheritance, so they have enough prosperity to help everybody else. And that's why God will prosper us, not with us in mind necessarily, though he will take care of us, because we're his children, okay? But also so his children can take care of other children and other children and other children. So everything that God has given to the church in prosperity is firstborn. So now let's go back to open. What's that got to do with open heaven? Very simple. Because God is looking at the firstborn of many brethren. So we all walk around as firstborn. But the church is here on this planet Earth. When you get born again, He wraps you out of here. He left you here. Why? To accomplish something. Jesus isn't saying, okay, well, just do what the devil allows you to do. Uh uh. He's saying, kick in the doors of darkness, he said, and, and, and get it done. That's about how it comes. So he's given us the armor of God. He's given the weapons of his warfare, which are not uh, carnal, but they're mighty through God. They're pulling down a stronghold. Given us all these things. As a firstborn, you have the rights. As a firstborn, you can protect the others. As a firstborn, you can supply the others. As a firstborn, you can help other people. As a firstborn, God will back your play in as long as we're carrying out what he's called us to do. Now you understand. The mission of the church is not just to bless you. Come in Sunday morning, get blessed, love the message, hate the message, whatever, but, and get blessed in here. People will, will love on you in this church because this is what they're trained to do. This is what they've been taught to do. But now here's the reason why we do it. Because God the Father is looking at us as his firstborn. We have the goods. We have the inheritance. We have everything that Jesus has, he's given us. And that Jesus has everything that the Father has. Hmm, interesting. Praise the Lord. It gives us a whole other perspective of kingdom, doesn't it? Oh, that's a whole other. I can't start there today. I don't have enough time. I'm running out of time. Praise the Lord. One more, and this is promise. This is my second closing. Third closing. So you are counting? Excuse me. You are counting. Third closing. Okay, Saray. Uh, praise the Lord. Uh-huh. You used to be my favorite. <laughs> used, uh, praise the Lord. John chapter 7, verse 37. Jesus says, I'm going real quick. I want to end with this. this. This is too good just to pass up. Okay. On the last day, the greatest day of the feast, that's Sukkah, by the way. Sukkah, uh, Feast of the Tabernacles. Uh, you know, they get, make a little boost. They remember the days of Moses and the wilderness and so on and so forth. Anyway, so, so they're, they're celebrating. Jesus gets up in the, in the middle of this thing. He is a party wrecker sometimes. <laughs> Never invite Jesus to a funeral. He'll ruin a funeral for you every time. He will. He just raised the person and there's nothing, no reason to be there. They just go back to life. Anyway. But anyway, so Jesus stood and cried out, says, if anyone thirsts of me. Now, they just got done eating and drinking at the, at the sukkah. Okay. Uh, uh, let him come for me and drink. Listen to this. Listen to this. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me and the scriptures has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Did you get that? Did you get that? A drink turns into a river. How can a drink turn into a river? I mean, I got a cup of water here. Well, you can't see it because it's not clear, but it's water. Okay, if I drink this, the cup's not going to turn into a river. I'm going to blow your mind even further. According to the Bible, this cup is full because I haven't drank out of it yet. Who filled my cup? You just skip? Okay. So is it full? It's pretty full. Pretty full. Not all the way full. Not all the way full. When would it be all the way full? <laughs> well, you, being, I might have this little When is it all the way full? Would you, how many would say up to the brim? How many would say it's full because I can't get any more in this cup? That would be full. I got news for you. That's not full, according to the Bible. It's not full, and something is not full until it's overflowing. Come and drink of me, Jesus said, and I'll give you rivers. What happens? We can't contain a river. I can barely contain my stomach and hold that cup of water in there. Well, a little river. He says, out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. Drink of me. Get a revelation from me. He said, now rivers will flow out. He said, and through those rivers, he said, it will water. Everything needed water. It will supply everything needed to supply.
what happens? Jesus himself under an open heaven, giving us an open heaven, changes our capacity. You're only bored because you have your own ideas. And you're not going to have your mind changed. That's okay. God will deal with a stubborn person. You just look at one right now. God has loves to change stubborn people. Amen? So Ray says, I have three closings. That's it. It's American way. <laughs>